You know, um, when I think about my family, when I think about my home, um, our home has always been a home where love is spoken. In fact, I would say there probably haven't been more than a handful of days at most that um, a day has gone by where I haven't said I love you to my kids. And when they were growing up, um, they're all grown now, but when they were growing up, I would often also add another phrase onto that, and I would say, I love you no matter what. Because, see, I wanted them to, to have this assurance that, that my love for them wasn't conditioned upon their behavior, that it wasn't conditioned upon you know, what they might do or what might be done to them. I also wanted them to always feel comfortable that they could come to me if they messed up. They wouldn't be afraid to, to let me know if they had messed up. I think they still were, but I tried my best. Um, I think that we all have this nagging question inside of our souls that, that rattles around in there, and, and it will torment you until you get a conclusive answer to the question. And the question is this, am I still loved when I'm at my worst? Am I still loved when I'm at my worst? Don't we, don't we wonder, don't we wrestle with that in various relationships? Um, and I think that we need to be reminded to slow down. We need to be reminded to lean into really important truths that we tend to forget, but are nevertheless true. And one of the most important truths that I tend to forget is that I'm loved no matter what. And that's what I wanna to talk to you about today. Throughout this series that we've been in, uh, we've been focusing on things we forget, right? But there are also those things in life that we really wish we could forget, right? Some of those are things that we've done that we wish we could forget. Some of those are things that have been done to us. But there are these things that, that these dark moments in our lives that have scarred us, that have, have really made a deep imprint on us and, and that haunt us sometimes and make us wonder whether we're actually worthy of love or at least of God's love. And what we see in the Bible is this unrelenting truth that you and I will never be perfect but we will always be perfectly loved, okay? And there is no greater need that a human being has than to know that we are loved. This is just foundational to our nature to need to know that we're loved. And yet, I think this is something that we struggle to believe sometimes, or maybe we just forget. Maybe that's why God tells us so many times in scripture that he loves us. In fact, the Bible has sometimes been described as God's love letter to humanity. And while that might be a little bit of an oversimplification, it's certainly on the right track. God tells us he loves us again and again. Now today, I wanna to take you to a particular text in Luke chapter 15, where Jesus is going to tell us this, this very moving story in which he wants us to open up our hearts to this love that I'm talking about. And this story is often referred to as the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and, and join me in Luke chapter 15. And I think as people who so easily forget 
that we are loved no matter what. There are three realities about God's love that I, I see in this story, and I, and I really want to bring those to your attention today to remind you of how loved you are. So the story begins in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, if you're wondering why this son is demanding his share of the inheritance before his dad has even died, you're in good company. That kind of a demand would be an, an, an insult and an affront to the relationship, even in our culture, wouldn't it? And, and it most certainly was in theirs. So right off the bat in Jesus' story, we see that this younger of two brothers is restless and reckless. And yet, while the father had no obligation to do any such thing, out of his generous love, he actually decides to go ahead and give his son what he wanted. And understand that the father in this story represents who? Represents God, doesn't it? So the father represents God. And so even as the story just gets started, one thing I see about God's love is that I'm loved when I'm searching. See, what we have here in this story is a discontent young man who is searching for happiness. And in that culture, you, you got to understand that young people didn't grow up and move away from home. That, that's just not the way it worked in first century culture, particularly Israel. No, no, when, when young people grew up, they, they got married and, and they would live right there with their family. So, so if a, a son grew up and got married, they, they would just add on another room to the, to the family house and they would share everything. It was all part of this communal kind of experience and that was what was expected. And yet, this isn't what happens here. This young man rejects all of that, right? He, he rejects everything that he has at home, everything that his father has provided for, them, for him. He wants something else. He wants something more. He, he believes that, that happiness is to be found somewhere besides home. So Jesus describes it as a distant country that he goes to. And on top of that, while he knows that his dad is going to eventually provide him with an amazing inheritance, he isn't content to wait for that inheritance to come. Now, I wonder if maybe that isn't where you are to some degree right now in your life, or maybe it's where you've been in the past. See, if, if the father in the story is God, then home in the story is that place where we are content in God's love where we're content in God's presence. But it's not at all an uncommon storyline for us to have doubts about that, for us to wonder if that's really where we even want to be. And, and while we know that we have, we've heard the stories, we've heard about how that there's this thing called heaven and that it's coming and, and that everything that God has promised us for the future will eventually be ours, 
A lot of times we get tempted to trade in our hope for, our anticipation of eternity and settle for whatever pleasure we can squeeze out of life right here, right now. We want it now. We, we don't want to wait. We're like this younger son here. And we've maybe find, found ourselves searching, you know, for this kind of elusive idea of happiness and thinking it's found somewhere else. It's, it's out there somewhere, right, in something. And, and we tend to try to find it in all the ways that word on the street says happiness can be found. Power, position, relationships, money, Whatever it is, all those things that we try to find happiness in. And so I wonder if maybe you're not in this place of being unsettled, kind of unsettled, discontent. I wonder if you're searching. I wonder, I wonder if you're thinking that happiness is out there somewhere or maybe even that God is keeping you from it. And you need to make your distance from him in order to find it. See, then, like this discontent son in Jesus' story who left home, when, when we have a hungry heart like that, when our heart is set on something other than what God has provided for us, we are very quick to want to bail out of the relationship with him. And we can become so ungrateful. We, we can become so driven by our discontentment that, that we just kind of shove God aside and we step on his heart as we make our way out the door. And, and we just kind of find ourselves dissing everything that he's done for us, everything that he's promised us, everything that he's prepared for us. And yet, as much as that must have hurt the father in this story, he still loved his son still loved him. And, and he could even see that there was something going on inside his son's heart. He could see that there was something his son needed to figure out. And so he even gave him the money early to let him go do his searching and see if he could figure it out, even though he had full knowledge that his son was going to blow that money. See, the reason that we are loved in our searching is that God's love is relentlessly faithful. God's love is relentlessly faithful. See, the most common word or term for God's love in the New Testament in our Bible is the Greek word agape, which emphasizes unconditional love for everyone. The most common term for God's love in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word hesed, and it means a covenant kind of love. It's a love that assumes a relationship exists, and it is often translated and means faithful love or unfailing love. And that's the kind of love that God has. See, it means that even when we drift away, like we sometimes do, and we kind of go out searching, trying to find happiness somewhere else and looking other than what we can find in God, that, that God is not going to abandon us, that God is going to remain committed to us, that his love is going to remain constant. You see, you'll never be perfect, but you'll always be perfectly loved. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite psalms, and, and it contains several statements about God's hesed, his 
faithful love. And I think actually Psalm 103 really connects well with this parable that Jesus tells. And in that Psalm, in verse 8, it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and what? Abounding in love, abounding in hesed, faithful, unfailing love. That's our God. So even when we push God aside, even when we barge our way out the door on our way to try to search for something more, God is going to continue to love us. But despite knowing that his dad loved him, this young man still leaves. He takes off. He, he bails out and, and heads off for this distant country. And not only does he leave home, he also leaves behind everything that his dad ever taught him about right and wrong. Everything that his dad had, had instilled in him, all of the values, he just abandons them. Maybe he gets lost just trying to find happiness. It happens, doesn't it? It does. And maybe I wonder somewhere deep inside his heart if he wasn't wrestling with the question, do I have to be good to be loved? If I take the money and run, will my dad still love me? So the story picks up in verse 14. Jesus says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I really think that in our hearts, we wonder if we could really be loved no matter how badly we fail. We really wrestle with that. And when we wake up and we look around and we suddenly realize how far away we are from home, how far we are from the person that we intended to be, and we realize that we have done so much damage and we see the smoke rising from the bridges that we have burned, if we don't wonder if there's any possibility that God could still find us to be lovable. I think we wrestle with that. But the truth that I need to remember so very much in those moments when I bury my face in my hands is that I am loved when I'm bad. I'm not only loved when I'm searching, when I'm discontent, when I'm unsettled. I'm also loved when I'm bad, when I'm just flat out bad. And it's a good thing because most of us, I would say all of us, find ourselves making the wrong choices, right? Too often making the wrong choices. Maybe you can relate to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 7, 14, when he said, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 
And if you can relate to that struggle, when you become aware of it, when you become aware of that struggle and that inconsistency within your own self, within your own life, that you find yourself doing the things you didn't want to do, the, and, and then you are doing things you shouldn't have done, and, and it's just this, this, this place where we're living out of our old self instead of living out of our new self, then again, we, we really have the tendency to get down on ourselves, don't we? And we begin to, to wonder, we begin to forget that we are loved, even when we're in that place. See, in his own struggle, the Apostle Paul receives this message in the next chapter, Romans 8, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that nothing in all creation will be able to what? to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, in other words, when I am bad, I'm still loved. I'm still loved. Dr. Henry Cloud, who's a really well-known um, Christian psychologist, in his book, Safe People, he wrote this. He said, perfectionists stay caught in Romans 7 where Paul was saying, you know, I, I, I'm doing the wrong things that I don't want to do. I'm not doing what I want to do. He says they stay, stay, stay caught in that, never able to internalize the truth of the next chapter, Romans 8, that I just read to you. They don't have enough grace inside, he said, to experience forgiveness. Maybe that's you today. See, we forget that we are loved no matter what. Now, the younger son in Jesus' story, he decides he's going to go live his own life, right? He's, he doesn't need his dad telling him what to do. He doesn't need anybody, he doesn't think. But his choices took a pretty hard turn south, didn't they? And pretty quickly, he's broke. He's walked right into the things that his dad warned him about as he was growing up. He, he's abandoned the principles, violated the things that his, his dad has taught him. And now he finds himself doing what? He's, he's eating out of the same trough that the pigs are eating out of. And I don't know if you're a pig person or not here. I know there are, there are pig people in the world. I'm not one. Maybe you are. Maybe you think pigs are cute. You may even own a pig. But listen, for Jewish culture, pigs were the bottom of the barrel. I mean, they, they represented everything that was unclean and unholy. And so here this young man, this Jewish young man, finds himself living like a pig. He has run so far from home. He has passed mile marker after mile marker after mile marker on that road that led away from his father. And for some reason, when he passes this particular mile marker, it hits him. And he realizes, what am I doing here? What have I made of myself? What have I made of my life? And he hopes against hope that maybe his father would be willing to take him back. See, when you hit rock bottom, it's, it's hard to believe that God can still love you. It's hard to, to really trust that God could still take you back. But the reason that we are still loved, even when we're bad, is because of our position, not our situation. 
You're loved because of your position with God, not because of your life situation. See, the father loves his son, not because of how he's behaved, not because of the way he's living, not because of where he's ended up, but because he's his son. That's why he loves him. And he loves him regardless of what he's done and where that's taken him in life. God loves us regardless of our situation. He loves us regardless of the wrong decisions that we have made and all of the messes that we have created in our lives and the damage that we've done. He still loves us because we are his sons and daughters. It's that simple. And going back to Psalm 103, it says this in verse 13 and 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're dust. In other words, he gets our weakness. He understands that we are frail human beings, but he still loves us. So this son whose who search for happiness has gotten him very, very lost, pulls himself out of that pigsty, and he heads back towards home. Now, he doesn't know what his dad is going to say when he arrives, but he is rehearsing what he is going to say when he gets there. He is working on his apology, and he's trying to figure out how in the world he can express this. But when he gets there, this is what he experiences. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine who was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is what? And found. He's, he's found And so they began to celebrate. Did any of you ever get lost as a child? Even for just a few minutes, maybe in Walmart, you know, or someplace, and you just suddenly, where's mom? You know, she's not there. And and you like this incredible panic swept over you. Um, And and when when you're a child and you've gotten lost like that, your greatest fear is what? is that you're never going to be found, right? I mean, it's like, I'm never going to see my mom again. But when you're an adult and you get lost, like this young man got lost, your greatest fear is that when you're found, you won't be wanted. But what I learn about God here is that I'm loved when I'm found. I'm not only loved when I'm searching and restless and reckless. I'm not only loved when I'm bad and make the worst possible decisions. I am loved when I'm finally found again. And as this young man kind of tentatively puts one foot in front of the other on his way down that road where his dad lived, 
uncertain as to what kind of reception he's going to get, feeling all the stress of wondering if dad's even going to let him in the front door. The unimaginable happens, right? His dad comes running. Remember, this disgraced father who had been so deeply hurt by his son runs down the road and embraces him like he's some kind of war hero on his way home. And he doesn't hold back affection. He doesn't punish his son. Everything that his son had been through was punishment enough. And while the son is stumbling over his apology that he had been rehearsing the whole way there, all the father cares about is just embracing his son, just enjoying the presence of his son. And this is a a picture of the heart of your heavenly dad, This is who God is. This is the way he sees you. And when he saw the father in the story, sees the condition, the pitiful condition of his son, the only thing he wants to do is is to restore him, right? He he just wants to clean him up and restore him and, and give him back all the honor of his position. That's what his heart is. And I, I, I can tell you this, the party that this father threw for his son that night was different, I bet, in so many ways than all the parties that he had been going to since he left home. You know, this, at this party, the relationships and the love were real. At this party, it didn't matter what he had in his pocket. It didn't matter if he had anything to offer. He was just loved for who he was. At this party... The happiness that he felt was the real deal. And Psalm 103 says this, beginning in verse 2, and I love this. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And what are those benefits? Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Man, what a picture of God. He not only forgives us, he he not only pulls us out of the pit, he crowns us with his love. What an image that is. There's this meme that's gone around for some time now and, and it, it says, being, it says uh, on, on my darkest days, when I feel inadequate, unloved, and unworthy, I remember whose daughter I am or whose son, and I straighten my crown. See, the reason that we are loved when we are found is that we're home. We're home. And the only kind of love, the only source of love that will ever bring you home and actually give you that sense of being whole and complete is the love of God. It's his love. You'll only find complete, perfect love when you go to the cross. And you stand there face to face with a degree of love that you have never experienced 
anywhere before or ever dreamed possible. It's at the cross. See, that's the, the love that actually allows you to be found. That's the love that actually gives you the opportunity to come home. Michelle and I have a, a little spot that we've, we've identified in the Eno River up in Hillsboro. We like, to, we like to hike, and we like to take our dog, who's a golden retriever, and we like to go up and hike, and the dog loves to get in the water. And we found this little swimming hole in the Eno River where we, we can actually get into, and, and you can actually sit there. There's this little spot where there's some rapids, and, and so you can sit and lean it back against the mossy rocks, and the water of the rapids just comes pouring over, just cascading over your shoulders. And it strikes me that being loved by God feels a lot more like that, like water cascading over you, than it does like getting a good report card. See, I can relate to this parable because I have three kids. And no matter what restless seasons they've been through, no matter what kinds of, of confusion was going on in their minds, whatever questions they were wrestling with, no matter what doubts that they were dealing with in their lives, no matter what they were searching for, even if it wasn't in the right things, I've always loved them. I've always loved them. And, and of course, I want them to make the excellent choices. Of course, I've always tried to guide them towards making the choices that were going to bring them closer to God and, and lead them to the deepest blessings of God. But there is nothing that any one of them could ever do that would ever make me love them even one ounce less than I do. And if they should ever find themselves in a dark and lonely place, and want to come home, they will find me waiting with arms wide open. And this is the heart of your father. Remember that in this life, you and I will never be perfect, but we will always be perfectly loved. So as a next step today, I, I just want to encourage you to come home to the God who loves you. Come home to the Father who loves you. If you've been out there searching, if you've been trying to find something out there that you think is going to satisfy you, that you think is going to bring you fulfillment, you're going to find it right here. You're going to find it in the middle of God's love. Your search could be over today as you discover that what you've been looking for has been right there around you all the time. If you've been not only searching, but maybe wandering, maybe you've wandered far from home, far from the values that you had been taught, far from the relationship that you wanted to have with your heavenly father, maybe you've done things that you're not proud of. Maybe things have been done to you. Maybe you've been trampled underfoot by people that you thought were your friends. And now you're wondering, could I ever come home again? Could, could I ever come back and be received 
Could I ever be welcomed again? Jesus gives you the answer to that question. And his answer is yes. Yes. Come home. Come home. Your heavenly father is waiting with arms wide open. There is grace. There is mercy. There is forgiveness. There is honor that he wants to give you. He just wants you safe and sound back at home with him. He just wants to enjoy your presence again. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's happened. It's just up to you to get up 